Welcome back to Natty Muscle Radio, where it's still all about natural bodybuilding. I'd like to thank anyone who gave our last week's episode with Carl Sievert a like or a share. Um, a big thank you. It really motivates me to keep doing these podcasts. I'm trying to stay consistent. Uh, we're coming into the first week of February, and I'm going to be five for five. So, so far, we're doing pretty good, hoping to get 52 podcasts out this year. This week, I'm excited to announce uh, my next guest, all the way from New York, professional natural bodybuilder, celebrity trainer, Mr. Naturally Intense himself, Kevin Richardson. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Con. It's a real and true honor to be here. You know, I'm super glad we can do this because I've been spying your Instagram for a while and you just post all these like the coolest like like stories like of you coming up through natural bodybuilding. And so I'm hoping we can kind of express some of them today in the podcast, but I'm just going to take a quick second to uh, show people your Instagram profile just to get an idea of who you are if, in case they don't know you. So this is uh, Kevin. This is his profile here, Naturally Intense. And He's got all. He's got the coolest pictures from from the '90s, um, and of course, <laughs> recently too. But uh, you know, um, pretty cool old school physique, uh, crazy V taper, crazy aesthetics. Uh, so looking forward to hear Kevin's story today. So, how did you get started uh, in bodybuilding? I know you were originally from Trinidad Tobago, and then you moved to the states. How did that coincide with you competing? Well, um, you know, it was a. I grew up around bodybuilders. My, my dad was a bodybuilder. My cousin was a bodybuilder. My, um, my brother was um, so passionate about bodybuilding. You know, he even dropped out of school at one point um, to become Mr. Olympia. He was really tracing the dream. And my backyard was this gym where all the future Mr. and Tobago competitors and, you know, people who went on to become professional professional bodybuilders from the country started off. So I kind of grew up kind of seeped in bodybuilding, always being around me, but I had zero interest when I was a kid, like none whatsoever. I was skinny. I wasn't athletic at all, but it was when I was about maybe nine years old, I saw um, the Terminator and there was that initial opening scene where Arnold stands up and I had never seen anyone who looked like that before. And I've always been a huge fan of comic books. Comic books have been, you know, pretty much part of my life, which, you know, does the, the outfit that I have on all the time. And the whole thing for me was here was someone who actually looked like a comic book character. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to find a way to realize that. And it kind of clicked that bodybuilding was the way to do it. So um, I also had, you know, a pretty tough childhood growing up in Trinidad. You know, I was very much the nerd, the academic, um, bullied all the time, you know, you know, classic, you know, kid in the schoolyard being beaten up every day. Oh, wow. And so I started doing martial arts and I became really passionate about martial arts and I got pretty good at it. Um, I started with Shotokan Karate and that's kind of how I learned physicality going from, you know, literally not being able to do a push-up or even a jumping jack. I mean, who can't do a jumping jack? And I remember not being able to do a jumping jack and wondering to myself, this can't be good whatsoever. And, you know, I went on and started studying ninjutsu and I got really, really good at what I did. And the thing is, growing up it was a pretty tough place, pretty tough time. And 
I was really good at fighting, but I didn't look it. I was 125 pounds when I started and I was 5'11 and a half, almost six feet tall. So, you know, really skinny kid. And if you didn't know who I was, you didn't know that I could fight. So you'd still try to pick on me. So I still had people picking on me. But at this point I could defend myself. And I was like, you know what, it's time. I always had this idea of, you know, being a bodybuilder. I always had this idea of um, kind of, you know, creating this piece of artwork that I saw some people, you know, kind of doing and creating. And so I told my mom, I want to join the gym and she got me a gym membership. And, you know, that's how I started 125 pounds walking into the gym. And the instructor back then took a look at me and said, you know, what do you want to do? What's your goal? And I said, well, I want to be a competitive bodybuilder. And he just started laughing. He was almost on the floor. He was like, there's no way, you know, you're 125 pounds, you're you know, you're almost six feet tall. There's no way you can do it. And um, that was that was the beginning. And I think I think him saying that was really monumental in kind of creating that fire that I had. Because I've I've always, you know, in retrospect, I've always been motivated by being the underdog. And here was someone telling me that I absolutely could not do this. But I knew that I could. I knew that if I just put enough time put enough effort, was patient enough, I'd be able to, you know, to do it. And, you know, I did. And right before I left Trinidad, um, maybe what, six years later, I was in a lineup, heavyweight, um, junior Mr. Trinidad Tobago, heavyweight category. And he was in the lineup and I placed fifth and he placed seventh. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So it was, it was it was really and that's always been the thing you know that there's always there was so much adversity you know kind of around bodybuilding when I first started off and it took a long time to get to a point where it became something where I just really enjoyed it you know the first time going to the gym the first time getting that pump the first time you know learn how to pose and I you know I was really 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 fortunate I had some of the best coaches when I first started off um these guys were all training people who were getting ready for the Mr. Universe competitions. Um, there were, you know, Darren Charles, you know, I have a professional bodybuilder. He was in, from Trinidad as well. Um, one time I was posing, he walked into the room and gave me some tips, you know, so it, you were kind of bathing in really high quality, high standard bodybuilders. But the problem was in Trinidad, there was not any drug tested um, competitions. So, you know, as much as I did what I did, I got to a point where I realized that this is not something that like, I'm not going to, I'm only going to go, but so far, if I, you know, stay on the path that I'm staying on. And because I grew up around bodybuilders, I knew what the steroid dangers really were. You know, I saw the guys have heart attacks in their thirties. I saw the guys with the abscesses. I saw the the ED problems. I saw the kidney failures. I saw all of it and had no illusions whatsoever of, you know, steroid use being something that was glorified. And plus I had, you could probably say a very childish and pure version of what I thought um, bodybuilding should be. You know, I was really into the idea of it being a healthy lifestyle and eating a certain way and training really, really hard and a certain integrity about it that drug use didn't really fall into it for me. So, so I retired 
at the age of 20, when I came to the US, I was a retired bodybuilder and I was really happy to be retired. And um, when I came to the US, um, started all over again and you know, been added in some form or the other ever since then. That's so interesting. I really didn't realize that Trinidad, that area had a, such a big bodybuilding culture. Oh yeah, I mean, when I, when I competed, I was, my first competition, I was 17 years old. I was still in high school and the contest was televised live. Wow. So literally I went to school, the contest was on Saturday. I went to school on Monday with everyone kind of looking at me like, oh my God, you know, we just saw you, you know, in your so, underwear on stage. <laughs> See, it's so, it's so crazy. And I, I know some of the teen competitions are coming back, but it feels like at least in North America, uh, for a while now, it hasn't been as popular for there to be like a team division. Right. And I think it, it was so important, you know, because you had all, I mean, when I was competing in the team division, there were maybe, I think my first competition, which I came dead last in, um, there were 15, 15 guys in that lineup. Wow. 15. Yeah. 15. Uh, what what year are we talking here? Because I feel like in like the early to mid eighties, there just seemed to be more like physical culture appreciation during that time. Uh, I could be wrong, but uh, what what era are we talking here? We're talking maybe like 93, 93, early 90s, 94, okay. like early nineties, early to mid nineties, um, and even in natural even natural bodybuilding. When I competed, um, when I was competing in the NGA. This is before the INBF and WNBF was was created. Um, I remember for what was it? One of the one of the the national America competitions. There were I believe there were like twenty one heavyweights. Wow! And they have to call us out. They literally had to call us out in in waves. Like one 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 group comes out, next group comes out. One stands back, one stands forward. It was you know it was it's a lot of people. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. So you came to the United States and you had the idea that you, that you were done with bodybuilding. So what, what changed to get you back on stage and to, for you to, to see, you know, a path for you to take? Um, I would, huh, I, when I came to New York, they gave me a piece of paper and my coach gave me this paper and said, Fifth Avenue gym, five, 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 Fifth Avenue. And he said, go there, they'll take care of you and they will make sure that you do the right thing and you're on the right path. And I said, okay, no problem. So I got to the gym and the owner of the gym was Charlie Carollo. And Charlie Carollo was one of the chairman of what became the INBF WNBF. So he was huge promoter, um, of natural bodybuilding and you know I walked into that gym and there were all these bodybuilding legends in there there was um Carmen Smith was training there there was um Bernard Seeley Bernard Seeley was an actual Mr. Olympia competitor who was competing naturally and really competing naturally on the Mr. Olympia stage wow. and one of the most incredible physiques that I ever saw and I was there I was part of the culture I was accepted and one day Charlie, the owner comes up to me and said, you know, what the hell are you doing? And I said, well, um, you know, what am I doing? And Charlie was a pretty imposing guy. He was about six, five, 
X cop, really, really big. Um, and I was like, why is, you know, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Why is Charlie bothering me? He's like, how much do you weigh? I'm like, oh, 250. And he's like, all right, when's your next contest? I'm like, no, I'm retired. <laughs> and he says, you're retired? How old are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm 24. He's like, get the hell out of here. No one's retired at 24. <laughs> so I said to him, I was like, you know, I'm not doing the bodybuilding thing anymore because, you know, I'm not doing drugs. It's not for me. I love the training. I'll train for the rest of my life. This is my lifestyle, but I'm not interested in, in competing. And he said, well, we have natural competitions. And I said, well, natural competitions? What is, what is that? He's like, well, you're polygraph tested and you're urine tested. And I was like, wow, that sounds fantastic. And he's like, great, you're competing. You're doing the June show. And Ian Mercer, who, you know, arguably is one of the, you know, most, you know, one of the top natural bodybuilding coaches of all time, you know, was standing right there. And Charlie turns to Ian and says, you know, Ian, make sure he gets ready for the show in June. And I'm just standing there like, like, don't I have a say in this? And he yeah. just walked off. And that was it. Like there was no, there was no, there was no conversation about if I'm gonna do it or not or anything else. It was like, no, you're doing the show. And I was like, okay. And I, I mean, that was it. I did a I did a warm-up show um, at one of those local local bodybuilding competitions. Because back then there were tons of just local, local bodybuilding contests. And I I said, all right, I'll do one to warm up. And I did pretty well. I think I won, won my class. And I did the, the NGA Hercules. Um, and that was my first competition. And I, I was going to compete in the open class. Um, but Ian had said, no, don't do the open class. Go in as a novice. And I said, novice? I've been competing, you know, since I was 17. You know, I had like a good three years of competition, you know, competing against guys who were on drugs. And I was really ready to go out there. He's like, no start up with novice, wow them, and then go from there. And that's what I did. And I felt bad backstage pumping up and looking at all these other guys because my thing was I was competing. My very last competition was um, that junior Mr. Antip not junior Mr. Antibigo. Yeah, junior Mr. Antibigo competition. And I remember Darren Charles pumping up backstage um, wow. in the light heavyweight category. He was doing his last amateur show before he officially turned pro and just looking at him. And here I was backstage at a natural bodybuilding competition, looking at the guys and saying, I can do this. Yeah. You know, I can, I can do this. I could, I fit in here. These people look more like me. You yeah, know? absolutely. You know? And, and that was it. Wow. So hooked after that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say hooked. I think, I think felt, it was felt like fun. you had a place. Felt like you had a place in yeah. the sport. Yeah, yeah, it, it was something that I was going to be a part of. Was going to be part of my life for the rest of my life. I knew that was the natural bodybuilding on some, some, some part. You know, is going to be something I'm going to be part of because I really admired um, the people who were promoting it, and I still, you know, every iteration, be it NGA, INBF, WNBF. The people who do the shows and promote the shows um, was Charlie back in those days, and it's Nancy. You know, these days, you know, I really admire them because I I know what it takes. I've done everything from I've helped promote shows, I've judged shows, I've expedited shows backstage, I've you know competed, done every single, I've of course coached many people as well to compete. 
and I've done every single aspect of body, natural bodybuilding. And, you know, it's, 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 it's really something. It, the, my heart goes out to the promoters because they work so hard to pull that off. And I think as the dieted down athlete, just kind of worried about stressing about our own physiques, you tend to forget how much work the promoters have to put in the background to make it all happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It really is true. So during this time when you're starting to get back into competing around 24 years of age, I'm kind of curious what the gym culture was like then, because you hear stories of people training and it just, for me now being a bodybuilder, it sounds like such a different experience. Like it sounds like more times often than not, you had a training partner. There was, it was a lot more of a competitive environment in the gym. It was a lot more like looking up to peers and having, um, you know, having people that motivated you to keep going. Like, I'm kind of curious what the atmosphere like was, was like in this fifth gym in Brooklyn. Uh, Fifth Avenue gym was, it was a, a breeding ground for natural bodybuilders and that you, you went in there and you had such truly remarkable champions who were training right alongside you. And, you know, you couldn't help but be motivated. I mean, there were, it was a misfit bunch. It was powerlifters. You know, there were a lot of natural bodybuilders. But what was interesting is that back in those days, if there was a competition, everyone from the gym would be there to show. Wow. You know, if you were getting ready for a competition, like I remember, you know, getting ready for a contest and um, I think I had to use the pec deck and someone was using it. And I said, you know, they, I kind of motioned that I wanted to use it. And he stopped and said, oh, you go ahead. You know, you have a show coming up. So it was really this, this, this camaraderie. And um, I met uh, Kai Green. Kai and I were about the same age. And we were both part of Ian Mercer's team. And we became, you know, really great friends. We would talk about posing for hours, like literally, we'd be, there was this little, this really small changing room, Fifth Avenue gym with this bench. And Kai and I would sit down there and talk about posing for hours because we were both so passionate about it. I mean, posing for us was, was something that was, you know, it was outworldly, being able to go up on stage and, you know, present yourself and, you know, really make the audience feel something. And I would tell them all, these stories about, you know, people in Trinidad, how they would pose and what they would do, all the outlandish stuff that we would do back then. Because for us in the islands, if you don't pose, if you don't pose really well and don't look really good, they will boo you off the stage. Wow, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, my, my, my recollection, my first contest, actually, I had a, a coach, his name was Rodney, Rodney Vera. And Rodney is, you know, He's still coaching people, he's, you know, today. And I looked at the stage, I looked at the audience, I said, I'm not doing this. Um, there's no freaking way I'm doing this out, no way. He literally picked me up, like physically picked me up and threw me on stage, like physically <laughs> lifted me up and threw me on stage. So my wow. first, you know, step on stage was kind of like, okay. And um, there would be guys who would buy tickets and they would take a roll of toilet paper on a broomstick. If you didn't look good, they'd put it up in the air and they'd wave it back and forth. And you're up on a stage, so it'd be just at eye level. So while you're posing, you know, you have this roll of toilet paper kind of like flying in the breeze in front of you, giving you a pretty, you know, interesting signal about your conditioning at the time or your posing routine. Wow, crazy. And of course, they'd, they'd heckle you, they'd, they'd heckle. And I remember, you know, going on stage and 
being so terrified in my first contest, I completely forgot my posing routine. The music came on. I had no idea what to do. I was terrified, but I hit a shot and I got some applause and I was like, thank God, thank God, thank God. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was really tough. But so we would talk. Kai and I would talk about about that. And there were these there were these guys who um, um, would do these remarkable things. There's one guy. His name was Ricardo Guy James, and he's not a very commonly talked about bodybuilder, but he was arguably the best the best poser I've ever seen of all time. And he would make these productions. He one time for a competition. He got these um, djembe drummers to drum, oh, wow. and he came out. He came out from the back of the audience in a cloak. Sounds familiar. In a cloak, and jumps up on stage, takes the cloak off, and starts posing. And yeah, I remember the crowd going wild. But that was the kind of of, of exhibition that people were expecting in Trinidad. So very often you would have um, IFBB pros coming to Trinidad, you know, guest posing. And if they weren't in good shape, and if they couldn't pose, uh, it'd get a little messy. Let's just say that. The audience wow. wasn't, you know, they weren't, they didn't want to see just mass. They wanted to see a show. They paid money to see a show. And one of the things that, that, that I came out from that with was when I compete in a contest, I have an obligation to really make sure my audience feels something and walks away with, you know, they paid money for this ticket. They came all this way to see me. And they're going to remember this. And I think that that was something that, um, that Kai and I were both, you know, really focused on doing. Um, we would pose all the time, all the time. And interestingly enough, you know, even though they were all these professional bodybuilders at the time, I wasn't a professional um, at the time. I was, you know, amateur. And Kai and I would keep on getting booked for all these small contests all throughout the New York area. So it was in the Bronx sometimes, it was in Brooklyn sometimes, Staten Island sometimes. And people would come to the shows, they'd see us competing, they'd see us posing and they'd say, hey, we'd love to have you guys, you know, you know, somehow or the other at, um, at our contest. Can you do that? And, yes. you know, we'd be more than happy to do it. So, so that was a lot of fun. I mean, those, excuse me, that, yeah, no those, um, those contests, you know, it was a little small contest, not the other. Those were, those were ridiculously fun. I can't even begin to tell you how much fun they were. And, you know, Kai and I developed this really close friendship. And I became the guy who was with him when he was um, backstage all the time. Because Ian, who was one of our coaches, wasn't always around to be able to go with Kai to the contest. So I would go with Kai to the contest. And since we would guest pose together so often, we really had like this bond, so. How, or sorry, excuse me, where was Kai at in his career at that time? Um, still a WNBF pro at that point? At that time, he was a WNBF pro and he was trying to break into the IFBB. He had this lifelong idea that he was gonna follow in Bernard Seeley's footsteps and be able to turn pro drug-free. He was, um, and I say that, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, he was always on drugs, always on drugs. I can pretty much attest that somebody was with him, you know, quite often for long periods of time and helping him literally backstage 
you know, putting the oil on, making sure he's ready and seeing him training and seeing the progression over the years, he really put so much into it. And what he did was truly exceptional, but expected for the amount of work and effort and dedication he put in. And at the time he was, um, he was competing in the natural, the, what was it? The, the, um, Team universe? Team, team universe? Team Universe. Team Universe, which was a, a drug tested mm. competition. Yes. And, um, you know, we had a lot of fun at those shows. Kai had a, Kai had this thing where he, he never thought he was as good as he, he really was. So he would look at the competition and get psyched out. And Ian told me that, you know, my job was to make sure that Kai doesn't get psyched out when he competes. So I had this idea, I would talk to the, um, the expediters, the expediters back at that time was, um, what was his name? He passed away a couple, a couple of years ago. I think his name was Steve. He was a really common NPC expediter and we became really good friends because it's always good friends. So it was a good idea as a competitor to be friendly with the expediters. And um, I would ask Steve, you know, okay, give me some updates as to what time it is for people start getting ready, start pumping up. And what I would do with Kai, because the way Kai would pose and the way Kai would do everything, he wouldn't really um, pump up that much because we both believe you pumped up too much, you can't really move on stage. Mm, and true. besides, the more you pose anyway, you're going to bring it out. And, you know, our coach Ian Mercer always said, if you don't have it before the day of the show, the day of the show, you're not going to build it. So yeah. it's either you have it or you don't. Yeah. So what I would do with him, so he wouldn't get psyched out, I'd have him stand and set up really far away from everybody else. And then right before, right, right before it was time to go on see like five minutes before, I'd say, all right, Kai, stop pumping up. I'd pump him up and put him in the line. So by the time he's going in the line, everyone's already lining up, right about to go on stage. And I'd time it just, just, just right. Because if not, he'd look at everybody else and get you know, get all frustrated. It's like, oh, I'm not good enough. Look at that guy. That guy looks great. I'm like, no, Kai, you got this. You got this. You got this. See, I, and- I love I love how you're saying this because no no one thinks about this stuff. You know, you think, oh, you're prepping for a show. You got to hit your carbs. You got to get your sodium and water, right? But like these little things, they can make a difference. And if you've been backstage at a lot of shows, it's kind of confusing what's going on. You're like focusing right. on yourself. You tend to look around. Like it's easy to get distracted. Like sometimes people even like they're not there at the right time. They miss their classes. Like these things are really important, people telling you yeah it's it's everything you know when you're backstage at a contest your mind isn't working really well so it's always good to have you know a wingman or a coach somebody in your corner who's going to make sure you do the right thing at the right time because you're just not there you know sometimes you're really just not there you know you're not you know you're dehydrated like you're saying your carbs are low you know it's not the time when you're going to be your yeah at your intellectual peak let's say exactly <laughs> so uh, uh-huh. as 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 kai was progressing i'm sure you were progressing as well so at just to bring a discussion back to your career um where were you at with your competing at, at this point when you were kind of in your peak of of uh the, the fifth avenue gym days um i competed um i would compete on request so what essentially would happen is Charlie or Ian would say, all right, Kevin, you're going to do this show. You're going to do that show. And I'm like, okay, I got this. I got it. And it was, I think competing was the reason why I stopped, I stopped competing. See, 
I think, you know, when you start off as a someone who was so underweight, you know, at 125 pounds, and you're working towards this goal of one day being a bodybuilder, and you're kind of, you know, pushing this, this rock up this really, 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 really steep incline, and you're doing it for years and years and years, and, you know, you start off competing again against guys who are on drugs, you feel like you'll never get there, and you feel like you're always going to be the underdog. And when I started competing, I don't think I've ever played, I've ever, no, I've never done a show where I wasn't either in the top, top three or top four. Actually, I'd probably say top three because they, the only time I came fourth, there was a disqualification and I actually ended up coming, coming third, which did happen a lot, unfortunately. But it was, it was strange. And I remember Charlie coming to me. I was doing really, really well. I'd either win my class or place in top three every single show I did. And I, I started only doing shows that were, that were um, you know, either international or national. I didn't do any local shows. I was like, no, I just need to do the big shows because I, I love the competition. I loved being up on stage with a lot of people, with you know, really being down to the wire. And, you know, sometimes we were on stage for as long as 45 minutes. Wow. There's just so many competitors and it was so close. And I love the idea too of competing in a contest where the judges at the end of the show say, you know what? I had you first and you came third. And you're like, wow, that's, that's like, I love that, that idea. And having judge contests as well, I understood that, yeah, you can really have shows that are really close when you have a lot of people who are really in great shape. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel that the 90s were, the 90s and early 2000s were really like a golden age of, of, of natural bodybuilding in terms of the number of competitors who were competing and the number of people who just looked, you know, tremendous, really and truly tremendous. Um, and it was a real honor to compete, to compete with them. But for me, you know, I got to a point where literally my second to last show was a Bernard Seeley, who I spoke about, had this contest in Mr. New York City. And he asked me if I could compete in it. And I said, sure. And I had this idea, well, I'm going to compete in this show and I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to drop my carbs. I'm not going to cut my water. I'm not even going to pump up backstage. I just going to put my tan on, go on stage and see what happens. And it was this weird feeling that I had had that I just wanted to really see where I was and, you know, I won my class and I narrowly, I narrowly missed winning the, the overall and the person who did win the overall, Ivor Brown, good friend of mine, Fifth Avenue gym alumni as well, brother of mine, you could say in iron, you know, he was begging me. He's like, Kevin, pump up, Kevin, you know, if you just pump up, you could, you could win. And I'm like, no, Ivor, this is, just need to do this on my terms. And I think I did the natural mania that same year, that was 2004. And I came third in natural mania. And again, it was really, really close. There's a lot of competitors. I didn't do anything. I, this time I did pump up, but I didn't do diet wise. I didn't do anything. And I was like, you know what? This is it. My goal was to be a bodybuilder. My goal was not to compete. Competing was something that was more of a means to an end. And that was, that was the end for me. That was my last, that was my last competition, the natural mania 2000, 2004. 
Wow. And then I did the same show 15 years later. <laughs> <laughs> Passing the torch. Passing right. that torch. That's right. So what, what year did you think you looked your best? Um, as far as competing or in general? Um, in general. 2021. 20, 2021. Oh, okay, so. I, I, yeah, I think it's still building your physique. Right now, okay, yeah. wow. If I competed right now, I think I could, I could be, I could beat that young guy. I think. What, what time period are these pictures taken from uh, the outdoor ones in the park here? Uh, those were taken by Dennis Lee, who was a uh, uh, NGA and, you know, soon to become eventually IMBF, WMBF judge and wonderful photographer. And that was somewhere around 1999, I'd probably say. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 1999. Maybe are there, 2000. Are the and and same. Is this later? A little bit later here. Oh, in your career? this is later. This is 2000. This is 2004. Yeah. This is no 2005. Actually, this is when I made uh, the DVD. Um, I had a. I was in Fifth Avenue gym, and I had this client of mine who was a filmmaker. And usually, when I train, I don't let my clients see me train because it could be a little scary for them. Um, and he, I think he, I thought he left the gym, but he really was in the gym and he watched me go through a leg workout. And he said that that was the most scary thing he ever saw and he had to film it. And I was like, okay, sure, let's film it. At that time, you know, no one, no one had cell phones and smartphones filming themselves in the gym. So it was really weird having someone film you. Um, so we did the DVD and um, released it, and it was it was the first truly natural bodybuilder with a DVD out there. I mean, there were other natural bodybuilders out there who were competing. I'd probably say the NPC, and I, whether they were natural or not, I'm not sure because they never they didn't go through the kind of testing. Let's say that I would say it makes you a natural bodybuilder in my books, but. Um, it did really, really well. And I was really impressed by how well it sold. Um, Amazon came to me with an offer to put it on Amazon, which was huge back then, because I was literally just putting them in the meal myself and mealing them out. And, um, and that was it. That was, that was Naturally Intense. That's where the name Naturally Intense came from, from that DVD. Um, and I do really high intensity training. It's really, really intense so much so that you know my kids when I train sometimes they'll leave the room they don't want to they don't want to see dad train they're like dad's going to kill himself one day we're going to go in that gym and dad's going to be dead on the floor because he just as they say you know he pushes too hard so th this is a perfect transition because I really wanted to get into this because this is something that really sparked my interest too as someone who's tried a lot of training styles and um I feel like I have a pretty good knowledge of like how each system can work. So I want to, I want to go into your system here too. So obviously you, you promote super high intensity, shorter duration workouts. So I kind of want to get an idea of what we're talking about in terms of intensity and what we're talking about in terms of duration and maybe like exercise selection and sets. So you said like, for example, the lag workout was what caught the photographers uh, or the videographers eye in terms of how intense it was. So let's kind of like, describe what the process of a workout for you uh, would look like at that time? Um, it's the same now. Um, 
a leg workout, for example, it's, it's something that I have to mentally prepare for the day before. Um, I think about not so much the exercise selection, but I think about how far I'm going to have to go. And I'm going to have to get to that place where I'm really uncomfortable. I really want everything to stop. I really can't go anymore. And every rational part of my body is saying, okay, that's enough. Stop. And then find a way to keep on going. Um, I give you a typical example, um, leg workouts. I'll do like last, um, my last leg workout right here. You know, I train home now because I have, you know, everything is so different in, in these COVID times. I was doing squats and I got up to 315 doing squats. And I was 315, I think I probably got to 12 reps. And at that point in time, it's like, okay, 215, 12 reps. I can put another plate on there and I was going to put another plate on there and I was seriously contemplating going for 20 reps, which is insane. But that's the whole idea because the idea is to get to that point where you can't go anymore. So instead I figured, you know what? I think the floor is, is um, stable enough and I hope it is because I'm on the second floor of an apartment building. So I started doing, after the 12 reps, I started doing some jump squats with 315. And that thing, like literally you get to a point where your legs, everything are in so much pain because you already did 12, you know, 12 reps and everything is just telling you to stop and to stop and to stop and to stop and to stop. And, to stop. and you find this way, this is almost like there's this blinding white pain as you're going through. But there's just one place where there isn't that blinding white place. It's like a place of calm in the middle of all this chaos. And you find that place and you go towards it, go towards it. And, you know, it's not rational because I'm not competing anymore. I don't have any contests on the horizon. People always say, no, he's, he's getting ready for something. He's doing the comeback training. And people have been saying that now for almost 20 years at this point. But it's, it's just how I train. It's just how I was inspired. And... Um, I met Tom Platts at a seminar when I was about 16 years old in Trinidad. He came to Trinidad to do a seminar. And after the seminar, he went to the gym and he did a, a five minute squat with, you know, 225. And he wasn't competing, but he did for five minutes. And we were all like, how do you do that? And then he put 315 on there and he did the same thing. And we were like, no, no, you just did 10 minutes of squat. Like, no, humans can't do that. And I've always been attracted to, um, especially from my martial arts background, that idea of taking yourself to that limit and just keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. And from a physiological point of view, when I started um, training, I was training six days a week, like everyone else. I was following the routine. Everybody does six days a week. That's what you do, six days a week. Um, you train each muscle group twice a week. Um, you're in the gym for an hour. And I wasn't getting that much results. And I, I realized too, especially for me early on, that the guys who were giving me all this advice, they were really well-meaning, but they were all on drugs. And there was a bit of a discrepancy in that I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't going to take drugs. And so all these different ways of training people were doing and getting really great results. I wasn't getting much results at all because it didn't really relate to me. 
some guys are training twice a day, which was huge back then. And I was like, how do you train twice a day? Like, where does life fit in there? Um, and also recovery wise too. And, you know, I was a, I was a nerdy kid and I did what the nerdy kids do, which is I went, stop listening to guys in the gym and reading magazines. I started, you know, reading everything I could on physiology. And when looking at how muscles respond, muscle growth is an adaptation response to extreme overload. So if I train my muscles to a point where there was overload, I would have some results. So I had to focus on creating overload through intensity. And back then I wasn't able to push myself the way I can today and the way I could in the year, later years. So what I would do, I tell my coaches, all right, here's the routine I wrote out, take me through this. And they'd look at the routine and go, you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yes, let's do this. And that hour long routine that I used to do six times a week was, I was done in 10 minutes. I couldn't do any more. Like literally I was throwing up, you know, I, I, it's a, it used to be a badge of pride actually that, you know, on some days, back and shoulder days, even chest and arm days, you know, you'd lose a little bit of lunge after the workout or during the workout sometimes, um, which is not a good idea. And um, I think you can get the same gains. I don't have to go that far. But when I was, you know, in my teens, that was kind of how I was thinking at the time. But the other part was, as far as recovery is concerned, I also understood that muscles only recover, only recover when you're resting. So I would train three days a week, each muscle, each muscle group just once a week as opposed to twice a week. And that was it. And I, you know, in the very science kind of Apollonian way that I, I tend to be, I recorded everything I ate, everything I did. And I was going to try this experiment and see how it went for a period of about nine months and see how my gains were. And I really exploded. I really saw, you know, increases in strength. I saw increases in muscle size. Um, it was not what I was expecting. I really didn't. It was really something I was trying. And I was like, okay, I'll try this first and then I'll try something else. And it worked so well that it became the way I trained for the next 30 years. And I'm still training that way. I think that's so interesting. You mentioned Tom Platts because actually I'm Tom Platts is probably like one of my favorite IFBB bodybuilders. So I have, you know, read and taken in, you know, a lot of what he's done. And actually recently they posted some of his old training footage on YouTube. Um, he did a system called like the big beyond belief system sometime in the, in the nineties, I think it was. And uh, some of the workouts are online there. And it's, it's kind of what you describe. It's like, you know, he'll be doing calf raises and he'll, he'll like do regular reps and then he'll get his training partners to like hang on the calf machine behind him and just do partials, like bounces at the bottom until like, you can't even move anymore. And there's, he yeah. had all, he has all these techniques that are kind of what you're describing. It's like, you can only do like one or two sets like that, but it's so intense and the set lasts for so long. And there's so many, so like so many metabolites coming into play at the end, you're just really getting as much as you can into the muscle. And it's not really a way you can train for an hour. It's like you, you redline it and then you, you get out. Right. So that's yeah. super interesting yeah. to hear that you came across that as well too, and found it to be more, most effective for yourself. Yeah. Um, I even, I remember um, I was at an NPC competition um, years ago. This is like maybe early 2000s and Dorian Yates was there. 
And Dorian was always someone who people talked about. Um, Dorian is being, you know, several time, multi-time Mr. Olympia winner. And he was a Mr. Olympia at the time. He was signing autographs. And I remember um, seeing him and somehow or the other, in between the pre-judging, we struck up a conversation. We started talking about intensity. And we spoke for, we spoke for about an hour. You know, that's the thing. When, when you find someone kind of who has that particular mindset, you know, we talk for hours and hours and hours, you know, because this is so few people who think that way. It's very much, um, especially in, you know, um, I'd probably say mainstream bodybuilding culture, which is not drug free. You know, they go to the gym and they do some pump up sets and they're there for two hours and they're there six days a week. And that intensity thing really is in there. But so I didn't relate very well to, to most professional IFBB bodybuilders, but Dorian and I had had something in common um, in terms of um, that whole idea of intensity. And when I filled my DVD, actually, I was very much inspired by one that he did called Blood and Guts, that whole idea of just let the camera run, no frills, this is me in the gym, training, that's it. And that was what I did. And it was a big compliment when he actually, he actually you know, saw my DVD and said, hey, you know, good job. Really? Um, that's amazing. Yeah, it was really amazing. I mean, all, most, a lot of the guys who I grew up with looking at as, as you know, like, you know, huge in the IFPB, you know, we're friends on Facebook now and they're looking at my pictures and they're saying, wow, you look great. And I'm like, what, what, you know, I'm having amazing. actual conversations back and forth. But, you know, I think it's that thing where bodybuilding is bodybuilding at the end of the day. And um, if you're found in the sport, you really see someone, you know, doing well you kind of want to say something about it. And I've always kind of been that way myself, kind of go out of the way to always talk about, you know, what I see people doing. And if someone does something impressive, I, I make sure I say so. I think some of the stuff you talk about intensity is super interesting. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of ways to train and a lot of things can work and everyone kind of has their own system that works for you. But I think some of the fun of this stuff is just to like, see how hard you can push yourself to and just mentally prove to yourself that you can do it. And, that can be like a confidence builder in all walks of life uh, for anything you're doing. And, and sometimes that's just like the, the whole fun of going to the gym, right? It's just to see, you know, what kind of result you can get and how much you have on that any given day, right? Definitely. I mean, it, it's, that, it's that thing where I, I don't believe in, in personal records. I'm a bodybuilder, not a, not a power lifter. But you always have that thing where can I go a little bit further than I did last time? Um, and, you know, it's just, there's so many things in life, so many times in life where, you know, things get hard, but a lot of my clients as well talk about the fact that when they train, that's the time when they experience hardship. Everything else in their life is easy. There's various varying degrees of difficulty, but as far as like real serious hardship, that's when they're training and it helps them kind of have a perspective on everything else. Cause you kind of get, you get used to it. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was, you know, very, very important in my formative years, um, both in terms of, you know, what he did and in terms of his philosophy and that whole idea that you take the lessons of bodybuilding and you apply it to life, apply it to your business, apply it to how you do everything. Um, you know, hard work equals results, harder work equals, you know, more results. And, and so that kind of leads me to something else I wanted to ask too. I know um, 
you're a very sought out sought after trainer in the New York area. So I'm I'm kind of curious um, how you kind of build up your clientele there. I know you you like have trained some celebrities before, so I'm kind of curious, you know, what your journey was with that as well too. Obviously, we don't have like a whole a whole another hour to go to to, to your backstory as a trainer, but I'm kind of curious, you know, how you, how you did get to that level um, of just being so sought after. Um, you know what I I I have to say it's bodybuilding. As strange as it is, it's all about how you look. Um, at the end of the day, how you look and then what you do kind of comes next. People take that first look because they see you physically looking like you're embodying what they would like to achieve as well. Um, when I first started um, personal training, I had to apprentice for a year with one client because that's just how it was done back then. And we're talking again, 30 years ago in Trinidad of all places too. So you get certified and you spend a year with one client and my one client, I trained her just as I trained 10 minutes, two times a week. That was it. And she lost maybe about 30 pounds over the entire time we trained about a year. Everyone talked about how fantastic she looked. She talked about how fantastic she looked. So when I became a full-fledged trainer in Trinidad, I had a lot of people lined up because they loved this idea of fast training. Because back then I couldn't call it 10-minute workouts because no way this teenager could say, hey, 10 minutes, 30 bucks. No way, no how, no time. Right. And even when I came to New York, um, when I was 20 years old, I came to New York and I started to train for the Fifth Avenue gym. People followed what I was doing because of the way I looked and because they could literally see me walk into the gym and 10 minutes later walk out and people loved it they loved the fact that you know it was convenient it allowed people who were not as dedicated as most let's say conventional bodybuilders to be able to compete you know i've had several clients who competed and started up literally from scratch just like me 10 minutes three times a week and with that small time commitment no cardio either we were able to step on stage um and and do really really well so it really became something where when I moved from Fifth Avenue gym and came to Manhattan, you know, the CEOs, you know, and um, people in finance kind of started talking about it because it was something that made perfect sense. They could go to the gym, they could get the results to make them look like a super athlete without having to spend super athlete time in the gym. And, you know, now with everything being online, um, it's even more convenient because I'm no longer a New York City trainer. I'm kind of an international trainer. I have clients in in Europe. We have clients, you know, West Coast, Midwest. It just keeps on growing. I even have clients in Trinidad now. That's which awesome. Is kind of, which is kind of cool because everything now is online. Um, and we went 100% online. But I think that at the end of the day, it all comes down to, you know, my bodybuilding career. I'm very much a writer. My blog is has been really really successful um can't say how how fortunate i've been for that um and yeah you know you talk about fitness you write about fitness it's one thing to write about it but when you can have that physicality someone meets you in person or sees you in person and kind of says all right well he really does look like this he really does train this way he really does embody this whole idea of eating a certain way and i think that it's just about personal excellence. If your personal excellence is, is up there and you keep on doing it for years and years and years and you do good work with your clients, you know, it, it, the word gets out and keeps on growing and growing and growing. And 
you know, really fortunate to, to be where I am now. And with COVID-19, it was such a, a huge hit for the, for the gym industry and personal training industry, but we were actually able to do probably better last year than we ever did moving everything online, you know? And we also have, you know, we get contracts from big organizations like UNICEF, not the other, and we've been really, really fortunate um, over the years in terms of what we've had access to. But again, it all comes down to, at the end of the day, bodybuilding. Bodybuilding is the, is the foundation of, of everything because everyone who I train, whether they know it or not, they're training like a bodybuilder. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And it's cool how you can, you know, um, how someone who doesn't even want to look like a bodybuilder per se can just still kind of latch onto that look and be like, hey, you know, like totally like, you know, I don't, I don't see myself getting to this level, but I know the same principles apply. And it's really good that you can even just, you know, even have a subtle promotion for the sport that way, just to show it how bodybuilding can improve the average person's life as well too, right? Yeah, definitely. I think bodybuilding kind of became a bad word, um, somewhere around the early 2000s when the IFBB bodybuilders got so big mm. and those are the ones people see that it became something that wasn't an aesthetic that the average man or woman was interested in anymore just kind of sad honestly yeah it's great that you can bridge that gap though because so many people did this they see images of like the you know the huge massive bodybuilder and they're immediately turned off but just to, to circle um circle back to where we are now I'm, I'm curious what is your training like these days and what kind of goals do you have for your training in the coming years? I train the same way three times a week, um, all out. Um, as far as goals are concerned, I, I, I don't know if I have a goal. I really don't. Um, I think that I'm just having fun. You know, I had to start a Instagram page for the business, which is why, you know, you're seeing all these current pictures up here, but for years, I didn't take any pictures of myself. I was all about just do me, do me, do me, do me, do me, and um, just live the lifestyle. But as far as goals are concerned, I think the, I think the next step for me is just getting older and being able to show people what you can look like as you get older. You know, I'm 46 years old right now, and you know, when I first came to Fifth Avenue Gym, one of the ones who who was so welcoming to me was you know a man named Kenny Hall. And Kenny competed up until he was 70 years old. And at 70 years old, he didn't look that different from how I look like today. He was in really, really great shape from Barbados. And he, to me, was what I wanted to be in life. Like I, that's what I want to be. That's natural bodybuilding. You can do it for the rest of your life. You're not going to be washed out by the time you're in your thirties. You're not going to have liver problems, kidney problems. You're going to be healthy. And, you know, kind of when everybody else around you is, in a nursing home, you're hanging out with a 20 year olds, you know, that's kind of, so I think that my, um, if, if you could say that I have a goal as, at all, it would really be to be that. And I, I would probably like to have a chance to do some sort of guest posing at some point, not in the other, but you don't really have guest posing the way we had before because there aren't many bodybuilding competitions the way they had before. But there's something about the actual art of posing that I really and truly love. I love doing it as well. So it'd be kind of cool to have someone to shoot for one day, but competition wise, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe, but maybe my fifties or sixties or something, <laughs> who knows? You ne that, never say never, right? That would be super cool. And you have some of your older WMBF pros like uh, Jeff Alberts come to, comes to mind. I think he's turning 
50 or he's maybe already turned 50 and he's planning to do worlds uh, this year. And he's holding on pretty well too. I mean, he's looking, he's looking great himself. Uh, so I'm looking, I always love to see, you know, um, the people a few years older than me and just to kind of give me motivation to, to stick with it. And I think you make a great point about how like the physique doesn't really change that much, you know, as you age um, with natural bodybuilding. And if anything, it gets more of a hard, dense look and this, the skin just gets kind of like a more like kind of granite and you get that muscle maturity look, which is like highly sought after. Right. So that's, that's a great benefit to training, you know, you know, past your forties and, you know, I think you're an excellent ambassador for the sport in that aspect. Thanks so much. I think too, it's, it's interesting because back in the nineties and early two thousands, the average IFBB pro was in their forties. They weren't in their twenties at all. It was a totally different lineup. People were in their between forties and fifties. Um, Carmi Smith, who won the Mr. Universe, WMBF Mr. Universe several times, he was in his forward, late 40s and 50s when he was, you know, like tearing up the pro, you know, the pro stage. Um, Dwayne Broadway, um, who is a judge today, he was doing a lot of damage as well in his 40s and 50s. Um, uh, Bernard Seeley, you know, he was competing in the Masters Olympia um, in his late 40s, early 50s. So it's it's that thing where I kind of think that people peak if you keep up, if you keep it up for your entire life. I think you peak between these the forty five and fifty five in natural body. But I think that's that's where you're going to be at your best if you stick with it the whole the whole time through. I've heard a lot of people echo that, and I certainly hope it holds true for myself because I don't plan on stopping. But <laughs> but I'm just coming in. I just turned thirty one this year, so I'm definitely hoping to hopefully see my best come out over the next decade or so. So. And that's the beautiful thing about getting older too, because I get to see people like you progress and get to see, you know, like I see you where you are like now, you look fantastic. And I'm like, wow, you look fantastic. You think to yourself, wow, five years from now, what's it going to look like? 10 years from now, what's it going to look like? And it's that, that thing about with natural bodybuilding where you really get to see people improve as the years go by. And there's something kind of beautiful about that. Absolutely. So I think we'll close out the show now, Kevin. I want to thank you so much uh, for being a guest on the show. And just before we sign off, um, give it, give uh, the listeners uh, a little plug for your services if they want to contact you. Sure. You can always reach me on Instagram. Instagram, I'm at naturally underscore intense. Or you can go to my website, www.naturallyintense.net. And you can read my articles. Uh, my articles are naturallyintense slash blog. And if you ever have a question about fitness, natural bodybuilding, never feel free not to send me a message. I'm going to answer every single one that I get because, you know, I've been happy and fortunate to get a lot out of the sport. I always want to give back as much as I can. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for coming on. And for 90 Muscle Radio this week, we are out. Thanks for listening, everybody.